0: Hey, good morning, y'all. My name's Ed griffin Hagen. I'm one of the pastors on our staff at Church on the Trail. I want to welcome you here. And if it's your first time here, I want to give you a super special welcome. And if it is your first time, um, Lynn and Heather Ornstein are standing there. I want to put in your hands, if you'll raise your hand, we want to stick this uh, little welcome kit in your hands and uh, kind of give you the, an idea of the DNA of our church and just all di- different things, our our core beliefs, our values, and some of the different ministries. So if it is your first time or if you've never gotten one of these, if you'll raise your hand, we want to get one of those in your hands. Before we get started this morning, i got two things I want to do. Number one, you heard Autumn Morgan, uh, who gave us our announcements this morning. She was talking about the event on February 1st. She said get dolled up for that event, the red carpet night. I just wanted to, to remind you that dolled up at church on the trail May mean something different than dolled up in other places, and so it's just an opportunity. It doesn't mean that you got to go rent a tux and get a dress, a sequin dress. It just means it's an opportunity to dress up a little bit uh, and have a, a good time and a good kind of night out. Um, so y'all come to that. Everybody, y'all come to that. I do want to invite Autumn uh, and Heather up on the stage for just a second. And there's a there's a ministry that has been. Uh, that we've had since April of 18, so not quite two years, uh, and not quite two years yet. It's called Generations, and we we haven't really shined a spotlight on that ministry. And so I want to just kind of tell you what uh, what Generations does. And Generations is not a ministry that meets, you know, every Tuesday at seven o'clock or something. Generations is is almost a, a reactive ministry that serves. It's a foster care prevention slash family preservation ministry. And what we mean by that is generations, we get, um, we get referrals from the Department of Family and Child Services when there is a child who is in danger of going into the foster care system, which is desperately broken, by the way. Um, and it's, 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 it's a child that is not in, in harm's way from criminal kind of stuff or drugs. It's when there's, a, when there's a need, when it's a sort of a poverty thing like the child doesn't have a bed. You know, if a mandatory reporter finds out that a child is sleeping on the floor, a teacher or somebody, they report that. They have to report that to DFACS, and, and, and DFACS will open up a case. They'll investigate it, and if, that's, if it's something like that, they'll call Autumn. And when Generation steps in and provides for the need for that child to preserve That family, because when a family gets busted up like that, almost nothing good ever comes out of that. And so Generations, and these two folks lead that ministry, steps in, and I'm going to guess since April of 18, so not quite two years, would you say the number's probably a little over 100? Mm -hmm. Yeah, a little over 100 children uh, have been kept in their families because Generations has stepped in and taken care of it. And I want, want you all to know that the, the DFACS judge in Muskogee County, um, Andy Dodgen, told us that there's about 100 cases a year in Muskogee County where that is the issue. And so we have really put a huge dent, that ministry, really the Lord through that ministry has put a huge dent in in that. And so I just want to expose you all to it. The need for generations right now is ten men in a truck, not two men in a truck. Ten men in a truck, we, because those things have to get delivered, and you just we need a kind of a, a a call list, I guess, of guys that have a truck that would be willing to serve whenever there's a need, and it's in the neighborhood of once a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, More, we never know when it's going to be. What? Saturdays. Yeah, Saturdays is delivery day, and we just need a, to to have some men and trucks available that if they call you, yes you can or no you can't, we need to have another person to be able to call to set that delivery up. And it's, it's an hour, hour and a half um, to get the beds over there, get them delivered. We always give them a Bible. And the Ronald McDonald House was nice enough in the last couple of weeks to give us a ton of toys, new toys, that we'll be able to take toys with that. So I just wanted to expose you all to that and say thank you to you all for leading that ministry. It's a wonderful ministry. So y'all we're we're um, in week 3 of a series about following Jesus and that series the name of the series is Not a Fan. Not a Fan. Last week we asked three questions. We asked does your life reflect what you say you believe? Does your life reflect what you say you believe? Number 2, do you think that you're on the right road because of something that you've done? Do you think you're on the right road because of what you do because of your your act your actions? And then number 3, Do you know Jesus and are you known by him? And that was the ultimate question that that we addressed last week. We learned that it all kind of lands on the relationship uh, with Jesus where you know him and where he knows you. We learned that what we say and what we do, our actions, they're they're, uh, the result of that intimate relationship. They're the byproduct of that intimate relationship with him. Fans... Fans don't have that intimate relationship with Jesus in the same way that those guys don't have an intimate relationship with Aaron Rodgers, and it's not necessarily that fans don't want to have an intimate relationship with Jesus, but it's that they want to have that relationship on their terms, on their terms. When the question really is, what are his terms? What are what are Jesus's terms? Y'all, there's a Bible verse that I'm going to bet nearly every person in this room has memorized. It's John 3.16. Probably everybody knows that just right off of the top of their head. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is a beautiful, beautiful rich, like super rich uh, passage of scripture, verse in scripture. In that one verse That one verse, John 3.16, we read that that God loves us, that He died for us, and that we have eternal life available to us. It is the most popular, I hate to even use that word, but it's the most popular uh, verse in the Bible. It's the most often quoted verse in the Scripture that is actually a verse. Statistically, the most often quoted verse in Scripture is God helps those who help themselves which, as a matter of fact, is not anywhere in the Bible. But, but if you Google what's the most quoted verse in Scripture, the most favorite verse, that's what you find. The problem is it's just not in the Bible. Now, I digress. Let me get back to John 3.16. All of us have probably seen an image like that. Some sporting event we've seen somebody holding up behind the goalpost or in the stands at a, um, at a tennis match or I don't know, wherever it is, or at a golf tournament holding up just John 3.16. But have you ever seen? Have you ever seen that? You probably you probably haven't. You can probably quote John uh, John 3:16 in your sleep. It's just in your head. But I doubt that anybody has a clue what Luke 9:23 is. The words in Luke 9:23 are recorded in three of the four gospels: in Matthew, and Mark, and in Luke. Three of the four gospels record Jesus' words. It is, and the words are: If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross daily and follow me. So now that you you know that verse, and now that you hear that verse, now that you read that verse, I imagine you can see why you probably aren't going to find that one plastered behind a goalpost or held up at some golf tournament. It doesn't. It's really not, or at least it doesn't seem like a big recruiting verse for inviting people in. But the truth is this, y'all. The reality is this: that John 3:16 and Luke 9.23, they got to go together. they got to go together in order for there to be an accurate understanding of the gospel's invitation. they got it. They're linked together. The emphasis in John 3.16 is on believing. It's on believing. In fact, the, the key word in John's gospel is believe. He uses that word 98 times in his gospel. That is almost a third of the times that word is used in the entire New Testament. John uses it 98 times. Key word, y'all, it's a key, key word. So the emphasis in John 3.16 is on believe. The emphasis in Luke 9.23 is on following. It's on following. Those two things, those two verbs are super linked and tied together. They got to go together. There is no believing without following. There is no John 3.16 without Luke 9.23. So the first two weeks of this series, we've kind of looked at at where we stand, each of us, where we stand in our relationship with Jesus. Today and next week at least, I want us to look at the invitation that Jesus gives us to follow Him. Luke 9.23 is the invitation to follow Him. If anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That passage is pretty clear about his expectations. That passage lays out his expectations. It tells us the terms of a relationship with him so that you and I know exactly what it is that we're signing up for when we say yes to that offer. So we're going to dig kind of deep into that, that passage, into that verse. And it begins, his invitation to follow him begins with if anyone, if anyone, anyone is a significant, extremely significant word here because it makes clear who it is that's invited. He is inviting anyone. Anyone is an all-inclusive kind of word. Anyone means everyone. Jesus doesn't start this thing off, y'all, with this, some list of prerequisites. His invitation to follow is addressed to anyone. And I believe that there are a ton of, pe- of people, a ton of folks probably here today who don't even realize that they're invited to follow. Here's what they think. Not after what I've done. You just don't know. I, I, I just, I can't even tell you. You just don't know about my past. There is no way that he would have anything to do with me. There's no way that he would want me to follow him. Y'all, those folks think that they're not qualified and as a result never even investigate what it looks like to follow Jesus because in their mind, their past excludes them from that. Y'all, I remember a night on the streets a couple of years ago, 2017. And I may, maybe I've told this story before. I can't remember. And if I have, bear with me. So we're on the street and talking to a friend of mine that I had met in the fall of 2015 in the neighborhood of two years before that. And this is where he was living. That's a loading dock on, uh, of a building on 3rd Avenue, 3rd Avenue, and I think 16th or 17th Street uh, on a vacant building. A building actually has been vacant for like 20 years. And we were in the parking lot talking, and that should that's a picture of the parking lot in the building. The loading dock is over there on the right. And as we were in the parking lot, we were talking, me and this friend of mine. And, and anyway, we were talking, and he was – he was struggling with a bunch of stuff, not the least of which was the fact that he had been living, kind of, you can't see it, but on this far right corner of that loading dock for about 10 years. He'd been living there. He's struggling with stuff. The conversation that he and I were having kind of got spiritual, and I'm sharing Christ with him. I'm sharing the gospel with him because we have a relationship, y'all. It's, it's, it's a whole lot easier and you have, you have a whole lot more credibility in sharing Jesus with somebody if you have a relationship with them. You're not just screaming about Jesus and they don't even know who you are. So there's a relationship with us, or he and I. Uh, and so I, I shared that God loved, really John three sixteen. I shared that God loves you, that he died for you, and that eternal life is available to you. And he said that there was no way in the world that God loved him. I said, he does, Mike, he does. He said, there's no way. And I said, he does love you and he wants your heart, Mike. I asked him if he understood what I was talking about and if he'd ever, um, if he'd ever asked the Lord to save him. And he said, I can't. He said, you just don't know what I've done. He said, I hadn't lived right. I'd done way too much wrong in my life and so I can't. He doesn't want me. He just kept on saying, y'all, over and over, you just don't know what I've done. You just don't know what I've done. You just don't know what I've done. This is him, and 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 I said, Mike. I said, Do you believe uh, that God created everything? And he said, Yeah. And I said, So you telling me a God that can speak everything into existence, a God that can that that breathed life into man, a, a God that created everything that exists, everything that has ever existed, everything that ever will exist? Are you telling me? That that guy can't save you. He can create the whole everything, but he's not big and powerful enough to save you because you because you did so much bad. You were you were too bad for him that he does, he is not powerful enough to save you. I said, is that is that what it is that you're telling me? And he said he was too dirty. He said his family had already put him to the curb. Uh, they wouldn't have anything to do with him, and he said God wouldn't either. And y'all, the truth is, I have no idea about the stains in Mike's past. We talked a little bit about it but I, I, at the end of the day I had no idea. You know I, I, I told him that he don't know what I've done. I don't know what he's done and he don't know what I've done. And sometimes our mindset can be something like this. Because Jesus knows about the stains in our past. That he knows about the dirt that is all over us. That somehow that disqualifies us. Our mindset is surely that at least gets our name scratched off of the invitation list to be a follower. That he simply just wouldn't want us. See, y'all, last week we were in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is one of the human authors of one of only four accounts of Christ's life in uh, the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so that's how we know him. St. Matthew wrote the book of Matthew, wrote the gospel of Matthew. Let me tell you that if any of Jesus' closest followers felt just like Mike did, it would have to be Matthew. When we're first introduced to him, it's Matthew chapter 9. And we're introduced to him as a tax collector. As a tax collector sitting at the tax uh, collecting booth. And he had long ago stopped trying to hide his stains. His (coughs) messed upness... Matthew's messed upness was significant enough that it is highly probable, almost for sure, that his friends and his family had long ago put him to the curb. At the very least, he was a massive disappointment to his mom and dad. They had way, ever felt like a disappointment to your mom and dad? Okay. They had way different plans, Matthew's mom and dad, way different plans for their son. And we know this because Mark tells us what his other name is, the Gospel of Mark. Mark tells us that his other name was Levi. And that name, Levi, tells us that he most likely would have come from the priestly tribe of Levites. That's where the priesthood came from in Israel. His lineage would have meant that he was set up to be a priest. That he was set up to serve the Lord as the Levites did in the Old Testament. Dad was a priest. Granddad, great-grandpappy, they, surely they were all priests. By the age of twelve, Matthew should have had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. By the age of twelve, Matthew should have had all of those books memorized. It's likely, it's likely that Matthew tried to become a disciple of some rabbi, one of the rabbis. But if he did, if he sent in his application um, for like rabbi school, it was somehow it was turned down. Or either he got in and then got thrown out. He somehow he didn't make the cut. He couldn't measure up, and the scripture doesn't tell us, Um, but he didn't measure up. Somehow, and I don't know why, I don't know how, um, I don't know how it happened, but somehow Matthew got sideways. So instead of serving the Lord, Matthew decided to serve himself. He turned his back on his own people. He became a tax collector for the Romans. His job description, Matthew's job description, was like he unfairly would take money from his own people and give it to Rome. He was working for the enemy, y'all. Rome was the enemy. The tax collectors would cheat people out of their money to line their own pockets. He was an outcast. Matthew was an outcast. Matthew, according to Jewish law, Matthew was ceremonially unclean. You didn't want to be ceremonially unclean in that culture. You were ceremonially unclean. Matthew could not even go in the temple. Y'all how stupid is that? The very guy that needs to be in there more than anybody else, theoretically, he can't even go because the leadership has deemed that he is ceremonially unclean. A tax collector couldn't testify in court. So if anybody was too far gone, it would be Matthew. And I think all of us have a little bit in common with him. We've all become, at some point or the other, disappointments in our lives. We haven't measured up. We hadn't made the cut. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've said things that we shouldn't have said. We ever said anything you shouldn't have said? You can't take it back, y'all. It comes out. You may try to grab it, but you can't get it back before it hits the other person's ears. You, we've all done stuff, done things that we uh, totally wish that we hadn't. And as hard as we've um, scrubbed the dirt off of us we just can't get it off ourselves. We can't. We're stained and we can't remove that. And I think for Matthew, I think that he's trying to ignore the stains in his life by choosing the life of a tax collector. And isn't that how poor choices work? One mistake snowballs into the next and eventually you're just like, what is like what's the point? Why even try anymore? Every day Matthew would sit at his tax collecting booth on a busy street in Jerusalem. As a boy growing up, I promise you that Matthew never dreamt in a gajillion years that it would come to this. Now I'm sure there were times, I would imagine there were times when he was honest with himself that maybe in the dark of night laying in the bed staring up at the ceiling where he had to be full of guilt and full of regret, I would think. If if only he could reboot his life. If he could just start over. Maybe things would would have landed or would be different but what is it that he could do now his stains were there and they weren't coming out it's a guarantee y'all that my friend mike as a kid playing ball and growing up and going to school he never dreamed in a million years that he'd be living on the corner of a loading dock on a filthy mattress on third avenue you don't know what i've done You don't know what I've done. You don't know. He must have said it to me 500 times. And finally, he said, Do you really think that God loves me? And my guess is that Matthew stopped asking that question a long, long time ago. He could never imagine in a million years that God still wanted him. There was no way. But surely Matthew had heard about this new rabbi named Jesus who was doing things a little bit differently. And then one day, this Jesus guy stops by Matthew's little tax collecting booth and he says two words to him. He just says two words to him. He doesn't go off on Matthew beating him upside the head with a Bible. He doesn't go off on Matthew preaching this big, long uh, 45-minute sermon. He doesn't say to Matthew, you're good for nothing. He doesn't say to Matthew, all you really need to do is just go get a job. Just go get a job, a real job. He doesn't tell him any of those things. He says two words to him. Matthew chapter 9 verse 9. He just looks at him and he says, follow me. Now in that culture, absolutely unthinkable words to come out of the mouth of a rabbi to a tax collector. It's inconceivable, y'all, that a rabbi would say to a tax collector, follow me. The way the whole rabbi system worked in Israel The whole whole way that system worked was that the cream of the crop would apply to be a disciple of a certain rabbi. So for all intents and purposes, those people had to have, they had to slay the SAT. They had to have a 4.0 GPA. They had to know half the Bible, just recite it out of their brain. They had to get letters of recommendation from all kind of folks just to have a chance to get in. Well, Jesus was different. Instead of followers applying to to be one of his disciples, he invited them. Not based on their worthiness, not based on a bunch of prerequisites that were written down somewhere. It would have been outrageous enough if he had simply allowed Matthew to follow him. But Jesus actually extends an invitation to Matthew. He says to Matthew, follow me. Now, Matthew was the seventh or eighth guy that Jesus invited to follow. And I would imagine that the first six or seven are like, a tax collector? Peter's probably like, come on, man. He's a tax collector. Are you kidding me? You just can hear them saying that. So Jesus finds Matthew hiding behind his little tax collecting booth. Jesus comes by. What do you reckon Matthew expects from him? He, i tell you what he probably expected. Judgment. He probably expected finger pointing. He probably expected words of condemnation from that rabbi. Because you know why? I bet you 50 other rabbis walked by and did that. But here comes Jesus. And, he, and, what, it, and what Matthew finds with Jesus is open arms and a gracious invitation. So Mike said to me that night on 3rd Avenue, he said, after what I've done in my life, Do you really think that he loves me? And I had recently read a book called The Hiding Place. Any of y'all ever read a book The Hiding Place? Corrie Ten Boom, her family in World War II hid Jews from the Nazis. She wrote this book called Hiding Place. I had just read it when when Mike said to me, "Um, after what I've done, do you really think that he still loves me? And there's a quote in that book, and I quoted it to Mike. I said, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. I said, Mike, you think that you can get all nasty and bad? I said, God can get a little nastier and badder. You think that you're so uh, horrible and you're so deep in the pit, don't think that you you can get deeper than God can get. I said, there's nothing there's nothing that you can ever do that will keep God from loving you. I said there's nothing that you can do Mike, to be unsavable. Nothing. And it was that part of that conversation that I had with him that just must have made sense. That night Mike said yes. That parking lot, that joker got saved. It was as real as the day is long. Standing in that parking lot, he said yes to the Lord's offer. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus invited Matthew to follow him. He was making it so clear by doing that that this invitation is not just to the religious elite. It's not just to the morally upright. It's not just to the ones that wear the right clothes to church. It's not just to the ones who, quote, have their lives together. Jesus said himself he didn't come to heal the well. The well don't need a doctor, y'all. You don't go to the doctor for the flu if you ain't got the flu. Jesus came to heal the sick, and he tells us that. This invitation is to all of us, that are messed up, hashtag messed upness. I mean, it's to all of us that are messed up, those of us who are in the pit, those of us who are stained and who are dirty. Jesus boots this whole um, elitist application process out the door, and he provides an open invitation. Luke nine twenty three, if anyone, if anyone. When we read those words, it's just our nature to think that there's some fine print somewhere that we're missing. Well, there's not. There's not fine print somewhere. But it seems like over the years, the church has written some fine print in there. Anybody ever attended a church where there's some fine print in there? The marquee outside the church building is flashing, anyone and everyone welcome." But if you look real close in there, there's some fine print somewhere. And that fine print tells you that anyone and everyone means only the people that appear to have it all together. The ones don't only the perfect people. The people that don't have any visible struggles. Anyone and everyone doesn't include people who are struggling with addiction, who who or who just went through a nasty divorce. Anyone and everyone um, means people who dress right. Anyone and everyone means people from certain socioeconomic backgrounds. Only people affiliated with a certain political party. Only people who who have certain musical tastes. That's what you find that anyone and everyone means. Y'all, Susan and I, about 12 years ago, we were attending a church. Not this church. We were attending a church 10 or 12 years ago, Sunday morning. We're sitting, and worship had just started. Somewhere in the first song is where we were. And a guy walked in. I kind of caught him out of the corner of my eye. He walked in the back door of the church, and he sat down on one of the rows back there. And he had blue jeans and a T-shirt and Atlanta Braves hat on. And he sat down back there on the back row. And two or three minutes later, I noticed uh, one of the elders in the church got up, and he walked back there, and he whispered something in this guy's ear. And then the guy walked down the row and went out the back door and left. And I'm like, what just happened? And so... I eased out of my seat and I ran back there after the guy's name. His name was Mike, too, as a matter of fact. But I ran back there out in the parking lot. I'm like, what just happened? Here's what he said to me. And I am so blown away that this actually happened, as did the story with Rudy last week. Did not happen, if you were here and you remember that. I said, imagine this. But this really happened, y'all. I ran out in the parking lot with this dude and I said, what happened? And he said to me, he said, that man told me that I needed to take my hat off that it was rude to wear a hat indoors and I was disrespecting Jesus and so he said so I left and then he said this I really left because after hearing what he said I knew Jesus wasn't anywhere near that church and I thought man and all that really happened he had a hat on and he was told to leave the church because the hat disrespected Jesus and I wanted to say dude if you read the Bible Read the Old Testament, at least you should have your head covered. So really, he had a Jewish yarmulke on, if you know what that is. But my point is, it really happened he said that. Jesus invited anyone, invites anyone to follow him. But when they come to church, they often find some fine print. It seems like the message is this. Yeah, we got to let you in here because Jesus said we do, but we're going to be keeping our eyes on you. And you can take it to the bank that the, uh, that's the way the other disciples felt when Jesus invited Matthew. What about his qualifications? You can hear James saying, what about his qualifications? And, and, you know, John said, what about his past? Jesus, surely, surely that you don't really mean anyone. Y'all, but when Jesus says anyone, it turns out that he really means anyone. So here Matthew sits over here in his tax collecting booth, marinating over this Jesus guy's offer. No doubt that Matthew knew, he knew what that invitation involved. He understood that it meant giving up everything. Saying yes to following Jesus would mean saying no to his lucrative business. Anyone and everyone can follow, but not without giving up everything. Jesus says, follow me, follow me. And the text in Matthew 9, 9 is so simple. The response is so simple. Six words, and he rose and followed him. Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And so it is super important, y'all, for me and you to understand that the grace of God doesn't just invite us to follow. It doesn't just invite us to follow. It teaches us how to follow. And so, yeah, Matthew left his past behind, and he started following Jesus. But it absolutely does not mean that he was perfect. And it doesn't mean that he became perfect as soon as he said yes to Jesus' offer. Far from it. Even after you and I decide to follow him, we continue to need his grace for the trip as we walk down the road of life. Y'all, the truth is there are many, many, many days where I find myself by eleven or twelve o'clock in the morning living like a fan. And I'm like, thank God for the truths in His Word. Lamentations chapter three says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Does that mean it ceases sometimes? No. Never means never. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It says His mercies never come to an end. That means His mercies never come to an end. It doesn't mean His mercies come to an end after you've had three chances. No. It says never. His mercies never come to an end. And thank God the next line says they're new every morning. They're new every morning. Praise God that every single morning of my life I receive the same grace-filled words that Jesus spoke to Matthew. Follow me. So who's invited to follow him? Anybody. Sexual past? Anybody. Ex-con? Anyone. Current con? Anyone. Recently divorced? Anyone. Super crazy left liberal? Anyone. Super right crazy conservative? Anyone. Rich man? Anybody. Poor man? Anybody. Alcoholic? Anyone pothead, anyone, meth head, anyone, crack addict, anybody, hypocrite, anyone. Have have any of y'all ever had a moment like Mike? You're in a pit because of your past. Have you had a moment like Matthew where you know you're guilty? Honestly, you know uh, really what you deserve. You know really what you got coming. Praise the Lord that Jesus' words are full of grace. He says, follow me. And you think there's got to be some kind of mistake. There's got to be some fine print. Because doesn't he know who I am? Doesn't he know about my past? Doesn't he know what I did? Doesn't he know what I shot up in my arm? Doesn't he know what I smoked? Doesn't he know all that stuff? Doesn't he know that? As a matter of fact, he does know about all that dirt. He knows about all them stains. He knows about my stains and my dirt. And he died on the cross so all those stains could be made clean. And I can be flawless. Because he as hard as I want to try, I can't get it off myself. But he, the cross got it off. Y'all watch this little video. Y'all that night on 3rd Avenue, I told Mike, I said that, that, the, the, that the Lord knows every single thing that he's ever done. Every single thing. You don't know what I've done. I said the Lord knows, Mike, the Lord knows every single thing that you've ever done. I said, and he offers you freedom from the slavery to those things. Y'all get that? He offers you freedom from the slavery to uh, of your past. Whatever it is, whatever it is, I told him the Lord, I said, Mike, the Lord wants you to leave all of that junk in the pit. You find yourself in the pit. Leave the junk in the pit. So because of God's grace, we find ourselves at this crossroads, this same crossroads as Matthew was at. The invitation to follow him begins with two words. Today's old message has been two words. If anyone, and it turns out amazingly enough, then when Jesus says if anyone, he means anyone. Anyone means me. Anyone means you and you and you and you, you. It means anyone. Follow me. That invitation is to follow me. And y'all, the cross does, that song, the gospel is so in that song. That cross does make you flawless. And it doesn't mean that there may not be consequences to stuff that we've done. But the Lord looks at us as flawless. All the scratching and scraping and washing that we all do ourselves, it don't make us clean. He sees all that junk. He sees all that dirt. He sees what's in our heart. He sees all of that when we say yes to the cross and I like to paint word images I guess when we say yes to that offer follow me and we say yes the Lord looks at us differently we say yes to Christ's offer he wraps a white robe around us I think that the Lord looks at us and he sees I'm not righteous he sees Christ's righteousness he sees that white robe wrapped around him and it covers up the dirt. It covers up the past. It covers up the stains. It covers up all of that junk, y'all. And he sees his son. That's what happens in this mental image when you say yes. And it doesn't matter what you've done. Y'all, it doesn't. If you think that you're so bad that God can't save you, who do you think you are? Like that's like even a selfish thing. Like, your sin is so bad that that he can't save you. Well, yes, he can. And he knows already everything that you've done. He knows everything that I've done, every thought I've had, right? And he loves me anyway. Grace is undeserved favor. I don't deserve it. I deserve to get thumped off the planet. But instead of thumping me off the planet, he says, I love you. And I want to be with you forever. And I want to save you. Right? So if that is you today, and I want to, I do want to do this, and if, if it is a day where you want to say yes to that offer, because when he says, follow me, he's talking to you. Right? And so if you, if you want to, this cross is right here, and I would love it if you want to say yes to that offer today, to come down here, and our, uh, our prayer team is going to be available. Our, uh, uh, some of our elders are going to be available to pray with anybody that needs that. If you want to say yes to that offer, I would invite you to come down to the cross. And, I, and, and if you have said yes to that offer, but you still find yourself in a pit, and there's some junk that you want to leave in that pit, come leave it at this altar. As we're going to sing a, a, a beautiful song, a beautiful song. I just want, uh, I want, if, if today is that day, I want you to say these words. And y'all bow your heads, close your eyes, and if you want to come down here, come down here. And if you could lower the lights a little bit, it'd be awesome. Um, But here's here's what it is, and it's not the words that save you, it's the cross, it's Christ that saves you. Lord, let today be the day where I acknowledge and I respond to the words that you'd say to me, follow me. Let today, Lord, today is the day that I want to say yes to that. Today is the day where I want you to, 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 to come inside of my life to save me. And Lord, I repent of my sins and I believe that. I believe that you died on the cross to save me. Please, Lord, save me today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Y'all let me pray real quick, and um that's a powerful moment, and I would say if. If you made a decision today, if today was a day that you said yes to the Lord, if you'll let us know that, you can let us know that by, there's a connection card in the seat back in front of you, if you'll just let us know that. Not that we can tackle you in the parking lot, but that we can pray for you, that we can pray with you. bucket y'all but we're not going to pass buckets today uh, if, if you have uh, financial support if there's anything that you want I would ask you to take it to the connections desk and there's a they'll, they'll deal with it out there so you can take connection cards out there our prayer team is continuing to be in the back back there in that corner and if you need them to pray with you please go back there and do that so let me pray and and, uh, and then we'll be done Lord we love you today Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit was in this place today, that you were moving, that you were saving folks. Lord, that you were pricking hearts, that maybe you just got some people thinking about things, considering following you, whatever that would be, Lord. Your word says that there's a renewal of the mind, that there's a transformation that takes place in our mind, finds its way to our heart. And so, Lord, I trust and I believe that you're doing all of that with people today, just today. Lord, I lift this church family up to you. All the needs that they have, that we have, that I have. just want to turn it all over to you in this moment. And trust you. And believe you. Lord, I ask you to take care of us in the coming week look after us, to protect us, to guide us. And so, Father, we love you. In Jesus' name.